From the University of North Texas in Denton, I'm Lauren Miller. And I'm Addison Eanes. And this is Out in Oaklawn, A Queer History of Dallas, a podcast about the largest gayberhood in Texas. In this episode, we will explore Sue Ellen's The Oldest Standing Lesbian Bar in Texas, the history and modern life of lesbians in Dallas, and the mystery of why lesbian bars are closing at an exponential rate. In the late 1980s, there were about 200 lesbian bars in the United States. Today, in 2023, there are only 16. It's important to note that the numbers reported for lesbian bars are those that specifically claim to be a lesbian bar, as there's a recent trend of more spaces that are geared towards queer women, making the grand total of lesbian and queer spaces for women around 24 for the current total. Many closed their doors during the lockdown of the COVID-19 pandemic, but the issue of disappearing dyke bars predates quarantine. Creator of the blog Effing Dykes, Krista Burton authored a book, Moby Dyke, an obsessive quest to track down the last remaining lesbian bars in America, in which she traveled the country to visit the last then-19 lesbian bars opened in 2021 right after lockdown ended. In an author event presented by the East City Bookshop, Burton describes the event that inspired her book. Lexington Club in San Francisco closed, and it felt like getting punched in in the gut. Um, That bar had meant a lot to me, and so I spent the next couple years just bitching just all the time complaining about it, like talking to people I knew about how more and more bars were closing, how all these places that I loved were ending. Burton writes about her experiences in the bars and mourns the closure of lesbian spaces expedited by the pandemic. But this is not the first time she's been vocal about this issue. Pre-COVID in 2017, Burton authored a New York Times article titled, I Want My Lesbian Bars Back. She doesn't pinpoint a specific cause, but writes hopefully about other queer spaces and an overall increased acceptance that could maybe lessen the need for bars. Despite acknowledging progress, Burton grieves for the members who are part of the LGBTQ community that do not have access to these spaces. She writes, The price of more acceptance is the loss of a few places to drink and dance, I'll take it. But what we're losing are places that young, shy, queer kids in new cities can go to knowing that they'll be surrounded, maybe for the first time, by people like them. The numbers reveal that the odds are against the longevity of lesbian bars, so the few remaining establishments beg the question, what are they doing right? In Texas, there are two lesbian bars still open, the Pearl Bar in Houston and Sue Ellen's located in Dallas's historic neighborhood Oaklawn. In her book, Krista Burton writes about Sue Ellen's in the same way that many experience it, She wasn't met with only lesbians, but many different members of the community enjoying a safe space together. Burton reports that Sue Ellen's was just the place where it could all happen, a backdrop for the queer community, necessary, needed, and loved. Sue Ellen's is the only lesbian bar left in Dallas and the oldest remaining in Texas. Before opening its doors on January 19, 1989, despite resistance, founder Kathy Jack pleaded with her bar management company to open a lesbian bar. I mean, every day I would ask somebody, when can we do this? You know, you've got all these women that are wanting a place to go. When can we do this? When can we do this? The exclusion of lesbians from the gay community was not an uncommon occurrence in Oaklawn, and as a result, lacked a place for lesbian nightlife. I think it was time. And that's what I was hearing from the women. 
because they want they wanted to be part of the, the neighborhood, and all all the ones that I had managed in the past were on the outskirts of the neighborhood. And none of the men that I, we worked for gave Sue Ellen's a chance. They said, you know, we'll give you five years, and whatever happens after that, you know, we'll we'll just we'll either close you down or and start something up, or we'll open a restaurant. And I said, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to make it a lot longer than five years. I promise you that. Kathy Jack soon proved her male co-workers wrong. Grew out of that space in five months and had to knock the wall down. Despite lesbians not representing the face of the movement for gay civil rights, activists such as Louise Young and Vivian Armstrong were actively involved in early conversation. They moved to Texas after Dr. Young's teaching contract was canceled because of her sexual orientation. The couple started attending what was then the Dallas Gay Political Caucus in February of 1977 to get involved in political change for equal rights. Here's a clip from an oral history presented by the Dallas Way about how the first meeting they attended was rather monumental. That particular meeting was really eventful. I mean, imagine how, you know, here we are, you know, two lesbians new to Dallas, and... Um, what is happening that night was actually kind of, I guess what you could politely call the changing of leadership. I called it a coup. But it really was kind of a coup, but it was a well-meaning coup. With shifting roles in the organization, Young and Armstrong were able to participate in voting for key board positions, such as president. So it was really a a great meeting, even though it was kind of confusing. Yeah, we were kind of like, oh, what's going on here, you know? And, um, but they talked to us on the way out. We introduced ourselves and, and told them where we're from and that we were interested. And they said, oh, well, be sure you, you know, come back and uh, stay in touch. Despite newly joining, Louise Young was elected a secretary position the following March. Although still a sense of disconnection between gays and lesbians at the time, there were still common ground that mobilized the community together, such as backlash against Dade County, Florida's passing of a non-discrimination act in 1977 that included sexual orientation. So then there was backlash to that, and the backlash was led by a former Miss Oklahoma um, named Anita Bryant, and um, she had an organization called Save Our Children, Bryant's famous phrase, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, along with Save Our Children, garnered support for the Moral Majority, a Christian political organization that was instrumental in overturning the Dade County's law. About 65% uh, voted to recall the ordinance. So everybody was fired up about Anita Bryant, even here in Dallas. Following the overturning of the non-discrimination law, the board of the Dallas Gay Political Caucus created a plan to achieve queer rights and equality centering around Texas Penal Code 21.06, which criminalized gay and lesbian Texans. So we have these shared values between men and women in the community, but this lingering division of gays and lesbians really started to change in Dallas during the HIV-AIDS epidemic beginning in the early 1980s. Um, we lost a lot of our best friends, and um, and... We were glad to do whatever we could. The federal government was not helping anybody at all. So we were glad to do whatever we could do to, to raise some money and help them out, pay their rent, get them some food, whatever we had to do. 
Emma Colquitt is a medical worker, queer activist, and one of the founders of LifeWalk, an HIV-AIDS fundraising resource that remains today. She recalls how the lesbian community responded to those directly impacted by the AIDS epidemic. Our time in the 80s was at times difficult. The AIDS crisis hit us very hard. We lost some of our brilliant, brightest, brilliant minds. We lost generations. It also, and it was a very sad time for us, but it also gave the sisters an opportunity to step up. You know, prior to that time, we, we parted in the women's bars. We were in one bar, women's bars, and then men had their bars. And it was really neat that we kind of realized that we needed to help our brothers on the front end. The involvement of lesbians in creating resources during this time and bringing the gay and lesbian community together allowed for lesbians in the United States to become more visible and build community. Undoubtedly, lesbian efforts during the AIDS crisis played a pivotal role in the Dallas Gay Political Caucus rebranding into the Dallas Gay and Lesbian Alliance in 1991. In Oakland specifically, the Dallas lesbian community continues to flourish today despite remaining struggles of misogyny and lingering de jure exclusion. When looking at the lesbian community today, their community seems to have much different experiences compared to other parts of the LGBT community. Because of their different struggles, mainly caused by misogyny, lesbians, including those living in Dallas, rely on safe spaces so they can have a place to feel like themselves. Emma Dovers, a local Dallas lesbian and lesbian bar expert, describes the feeling of what it is like living as an open lesbian in a city like Dallas. Like the space within Sue Ellen's is like very safe and like very protected and like people with of all different sexualities like are in there and feel safe because they know that they're in a lesbian space and they know that that space needs to be respectable. The Dallas area seems to have a much more inclusive lesbian scene compared to other cities within the U.S. I definitely feel like the queer scene, especially in Dallas, is honestly more connected. Like Philly, for example, and how like they literally had every like crocheted heart flag possible and then like no lesbian flag or how like people in like those areas have looked at me funny. Cities that are typically thought of as queer friendly areas still seem to be missing the final piece that Oakland seems to have that makes it feel so comfortable for its own community. And like even in Colorado, like I, Blush and Blue is so lovely and it's so cozy and it's more of like a dive bar type situation, but like there's no cemented gayberhood in the same way from what I've experienced um, here. And I don't, I know a lot of my research came from like when you're in Dallas, like there's a lot more of a need for like queer specific spaces the need for queer-specific spaces in southern cities like Dallas seems to be one of the main reasons why the queer community can develop its queer scene into such a comfortable environment for people to congregate to. While Dallas creating spaces within Oaklawn like Sue Ellen's for its lesbian community to flourish is a good thing, it is unfortunate knowing that lesbians in other areas are not so lucky. You know, when you're a lesbian, that's like the only sexuality where you have no attraction to cis men at all. Like that is so isolating. 
Cities that lack lesbian-specific spaces make it harder for those that come out to find some sense of community. The isolating feeling that lesbians must face stems from the fact that they no longer are appealing to the male gaze. Without that appeal, lesbians are often overlooked, and that includes the spaces that make them feel safe, like lesbian bars. Once you take away the male gaze and the fact that that doesn't apply to you and you realize that your entire life you have been composing yourself for that gaze, whether you meant to or not, like... Society after that sees you as worthless, like from things as in like, I will actually like watch men hold their partners closer in a grocery store to like something stupid. Lesbians today do not feel like they are granted the same luxuries that straight or straight passing couples tend to not have to think about. Lesbian couples often feel the need to hide their relationships from society, even in cities like Dallas, where the LGBT community seems to be extremely welcome. Spaces like Sue Ellen's seem to be some of the only spaces where these relationships feel safe and welcomed. My ex-partner only wanted to hold my hand in Sue Ellen's because it's the only place that they felt safe to do so because they were a butch lesbian like any time that There would be any type of display and affection outside of that. As soon as they saw another person, especially a man, like they would freak out and like put their hand down because it's truly not safe. Lesbian relationships, especially ones where the other partner appears butch, feel pressured to study their surroundings before showing any sort of PDA, something that heterosexual relationships never have to worry about. I'll never get the privilege of walking down the street hand in hand with like a male partner outside of lesbian specific spaces to show that kind of love that is almost taken for granted in heterosexual presenting couples. Having spaces like Sue Ellen's is so important for the growth of the lesbian community. The diverse atmosphere allows queer people from all sides of the gender and sexuality spectrum to be able to come together and be themselves in a safe environment, which makes Oakland one of the better places in the South for lesbians to feel safe which is usually a challenge for them to feel. Are like blue liberal states like going into their queer scene like I expected it to be like more lively and more welcoming and it just really wasn't. It was like the complete opposite. Like it was almost all especially in Philly, it was all just mi- like middle-aged white men. Like that was the only demographic that was there. There was, like, no women, no non-men at all, really. No men or non-men of color in the neighborhood. Like, it was very isolating. Oakland has done an impressive job carving out an area to fill the need for queer-specific spaces and has provided an area for lesbians struggling to find camaraderie to have a chance and meet people with similar backgrounds without the stress of feeling afraid. The lesbian community in Dallas continues to grow into such a diverse and unique space, and without the help from locals like Kathy Jack, the community would not have blossomed in the way that it has. Kathy has just truly helped aid in, like, such a safe space for queer people of all generations, like, in Dallas. It's, like, actually insane. I can't say enough good things about her, but um, it's so... I thought that all areas were going to be like that, Um, And I honestly realized how privileged I was to have a space like 40 minutes away from me that feels as safe as Sue Ellen does and as like the neighborhood does in Dallas because like the other big cities I've been to like don't have that same 
camaraderie, um, which I wasn't really expecting. And I think it's because queer people here, or at least I like speaking as a lesbian, I know like need that place where it is like basically written in writing that you're safe to be there. Um, and like that type of like salvation is nice. And like, I feel like maybe it's taken for granted in other areas. When you walk into Sue Ellen's today, you are met with live music, performances, and a safe space for queer people. Sue Ellen's offers something for everyone with a dance floor, pool tables, TV, and photo ops. There are two separate levels, private rooms, and ample space to find your niche. The clientele at Sue Ellen's has become exponentially diverse compared to other lesbian spaces. As we heard from Kathy Jack before, Sue Ellen's had to expand within their first year as it fulfilled a need for a woman's bar in Oak Lawn. But the diversified patron base we see today took some time. Here's Kathy Jack again on Sue Ellen's start. It was really kind of weird because all of my really good customers, they'd see me out in front of Sue Ellen's and I'd go, hey, how you doing? You know, come on in and have a drink. And they're like, no, you know, that's a lesbian bar. And, you know, we're not going to, we're not really into it. And that probably lasted about two years. And then we have maybe a couple come in and maybe another couple come in. And then we got some, some regulars, you know, just single guys that were going out that didn't want to be hit on by other guys. Slowly but surely, it became a place for all people. It was a gradual start. Everybody was a little timid about it at first. And, and the women were as well. I mean, they did not want guys coming in and taking over. Despite initial hesitation from women to share this new lesbian-created space with others, Kathy Jack affirms. And I said, and I think, you know, I say this almost every day that I'm there. You know, as long as I have a breath in my body, it will always be Sue Ellen's a lesbian bar. We previously discussed this reluctancy of Kathy Jack's male co-workers, bosses, and patrons of other bars in Oaklawn when it comes to Sue Ellen's. The addition of misogyny, amongst other variables, undoubtedly puts lesbian bars in a position to prove themselves. Sue Ellen's has become an Oaklawn staple and furthermore, a symbol of lesbian prosperity in Dallas today. With so many lesbian bars shutting down in the country, Sue Ellen's has remained present in the community. We asked Kathy Jack what she thinks the cause of these closures are. It's just, uh, it's not an easy job to uh, keep the doors open when you're, when you're struggling for, you know, for many reasons. So I, you know, people always say, how come there's no more lesbian bars? And I'm like, oh my God, do you have, do you have three hours? I mean, I really don't, I don't have an answer. <laughs> I wish I had a pinpoint answer, but I don't. Yeah, I just think it's many, uh, many things. One reason Kathy Jack theorizes is that lesbian women might choose to socialize differently as they age. But people my age uh, and younger, most of my friends are younger than I. Um, but, w- you know, we don't we don't go to bars. We, we might go to bars to watch a football game or something like that. But, you know, I love Sue Ellen's, but I have no desire to go there at nighttime because it's, you know, I say everybody's so young. You know, it's not for me. But, um, you know, so that's another reason there. People kind of age, women kind of age out. 
Throughout Kathy Jack's lived experience, she witnessed that lesbian spaces aren't typically as big as men's, meaning the risk for closure is higher. And lesbians don't party like the gay men do. I mean, they, they love to party, don't get me wrong, but they um, most of the lesbian bars were smaller and they were uh, usually owned by one man or one woman. And anytime you have something like that, if anything, if one thing happens, it could close you down. You know, if, if somebody gets hurt in your bar and they sue you, you, your bars get closed down. Being able to have a prime location is also an element for success. And it's hard if you have a place that's kind of away from the other bars. Say, for instance, using Dallas as an example, you know, we have all those bars on Cedar Springs. There's another bar maybe four or five miles away. Most people aren't going to want to go there because it's so far. They're just going to stay where they are. Lesbian bars starting out must be hyper aware of these outside elements that might heighten the risk of closure, as well as having a solidified plan for the future. I know of two bars in Dallas that closed lesbian bars that had been open for many, many years by the same owners. And the reason they closed is because when the both of the women that ran them had no plan for anything if they were to pass and they both passed away and so eventually they had to close the bar down because they they didn't have anybody to take it over although bar closures are contributed to a multitude of reasons independent from the covid19 pandemic it undeniably plays a role today i i think the pandemic really had a big impact um and it's still having a big impact you know, even a company like ours is still feeling the after effects of it. Uh, I mean, well, not just bars, everybody is. But, I mean, you, you, can, you can tell it, it's tough. And a lot of the independents out there, it's hard to make it. However, Sue Ellens didn't face the same fate that many others have. Instead, it continues to operate even after obstacles such as quarantine and adjusting to post-lockdown life. Kathy contributes the success to the atmosphere Sue Ellens provides. I wanted it to be a place that people felt safe. I wanted it to be a place where people could have a lot of fun. People could come in there and find their next girlfriend or boyfriend. Um, a people, uh, a place where people felt um, just, you know, that we were a part of their community. And we were. Sue Ellens has created a history of its own and became a place where so many have built lifelong friendships and relationships. Saturday night, I had a birthday party for my wife, and um, I had a band playing, and one of the bandmates was a customer of mine at Sue Ellens, and she said, I didn't have a spot. I didn't, I could, I didn't fit in anywhere. I kept trying all these different bars, you know, and... She finally came to Sue Ellen's and I was standing outside and I didn't, we, we didn't know each other. And I said, I, I said, are you coming in? And she said, I don't know. She said, what's it like? And I said, it's a place where you're going to have fun. It's a place where you're going to feel safe. And it's a place where you're going to meet a lot of people that you're going to be friends with 20 years from now. Kathy Jack highlights how Sue Ellen's became a home for this customer. She said she had been in a bad place. She'd been doing a lot of drugs and just not happy. And she told my sister-in-law that she said, Kathy Jack saved my life. 
you know, and I didn't even know that story until last night. But I mean, I think that happens a lot and we we don't know about it, you know, because it is a place where you can go in and you can you can meet a lot of people. And you before you know it, you have a whole family of people that you didn't have, you know, six months ago. Sue Ellen serves as a great example of how lesbian spaces can flourish and benefit the community. When looking to the future of Sue Ellen's, Kathy talks about her hopes for the spaces even after she's gone. I hope it continues to um, change, get better. Um, I hope people still have an interest in Sue Ellen's 25 years from now. I, you know, if, if I can come back, uh, if I move away and I come back 10 years from now, I want to be able to walk in the door and have the same feeling that I had the last time I was in there. I just, I want it to, I want it to thrive because it's my child. While patrons enjoy the fun and comfortable ambiance, the staff is given an enjoyable work environment, which makes most of the bartenders want to stick around for as long as possible. Corey, one of the newer bartenders, shares some of her experience with us working for a bar like Sue Ellen's. It genuinely is like a family here. A lot of people who have started working here have not left. We've probably had like two people leave, but they end up at one of our sister bars or one of our brother bars. So we end up seeing them every weekend anyway. So it's like we all hang out together. We all do stuff together. It's, it's pretty close. Yeah. Unlike most bars. The evolution of Sue Ellen's has shown how the lesbian community has changed in Oakland and how everyday individuals can be impacted by the spaces we provide. Sue Ellen's ability to withstand the struggles most lesbian bars have had to endure is impressive, especially seeing the quick decline that most lesbian bars in the country faced. But how is Sue Ellen's able to do it? After a conversation with both Kathy Jack and Emma Dovers, it does not seem as simple as the bar being able to get past the struggles of COVID-19. It took more work than just being lucky. One of the most prominent struggles lesbian bars have had to face within the past few decades is gentrification, which is something Emma Dovers delved into while conducting their research for their lesbian bar symposium. Gentrification has also played a part in pushing out lesbian bars and like purposefully like upping up the rent in like areas that are very much gay hubs like Bushwick and um, San Francisco um, to try and push gay people out because even though it's, and also there's like this facade that queerness is more societally digestible by now and it's really not. Um, the ways that I'm still condemned for like being open about having a partner that is not a man and like, things of that nature are insane, and I feel like I did not know how much went in. Homophobia that lesbians specifically face also is a big reason for the demise of most lesbian bars. Misogyny seems to intertwine with the homophobic sentiments that lesbians have had to consistently face, which has been another reason for the downfall of so many lesbian spaces. The fact that those, that apprehension is like always gonna be there. Um, is definitely something that I like offhand knew obviously from like my first experiences, but like realizing from like how institutional that issue is, um, I've learned that. And then also just like, again, lesbians had to fight so hard to have their own spaces. 
The sense of community that queer people in the DFW area were able to create helped strengthen Sue Ellen's ability to stay open. This feeling of togetherness was made possible by early lesbian activists in Texas, such as Louise Young and Vivian Armstrong, who have always lived visible lives and searched to be part of the LGBTQ plus community. Dallas lesbians such as Emma Colquitt's commitment to the AIDS crisis further solidified a place for lesbian voices in the queer community. Kathy Jack has helped shape Oak Lawn into the diverse and queer scene that it is today, and also helped pave the way towards Sue Ellen's success, something that other neighborhoods across the country seem to be missing. Without a feeling of diversity within the queer community, diverse spaces like Sue Ellen's have no chance for continued success. It is obvious to us that lesbians have oftentimes been excluded from the LGBTQ narrative. Thus, Sue Ellens has a vision of inclusivity. In Oakland, lesbians not only continue to search to contribute to queer political organizations, but took leadership roles during the AIDS crisis in order to help men in the community and in turn found acceptance within their own community. The continuation of the diverse patron base in Sue Ellens today reflects the modern values of Dallas lesbians, an inclusive value that was planted in its origins. In our episode, we uncover how the activism of lesbians created a space for lesbians in the queer community in Oaklawn. Be sure to tune in to the next episode, Acting Out, to hear more about LGBTQ plus activism in Dallas. Krista Burton, the author of Moby Dyke, captured the sincere and welcoming nature of Sue Ellens. Her experience of Sue Ellens is consistent with Kathy Jack's, Emma Dover's, and our own. Burton ends her chapter on Sue Ellens' writing, I'm glad Sue Ellens is in good hands. I hoped it would be there long after I was gone. Out in Oaklawn is an undergraduate student-led project funded by the Department of History at the University of North Texas. This episode was researched and produced by Lauren Miller and Addison Eads. Special thanks to our professor, Dr. Wesley Phelps, the UNT Library Special Collections Department, the Dallas Way, the Portal to Texas History, and the community members of Oak Lawn. Thanks also to Kendall Bailey for her interview with Kathy Jack. We would also like to thank Kathy Jack herself, Vivian Armstrong, Louise Young, Emma Colquitt, bartender Corey at Sue Ellens, and Emma Dovers for their insight into Sue Ellens and lesbian life in Oak Lawn. Our theme music as well as additional music in this episode was composed by Alexi Action. You can find more episodes and research notes at our website, outinoaklawn.podbean.com.